Radio. My name is Matt West, and tonight I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, and the drunkest one in the mall, my good friend BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! Go Texans! Woo! Hey, you know, I'm a lot of things, all right? I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a brother, uh, I'm a, a nose picker, but most of all, I'm a Houston Texans fan, and so I'm very distraught and upset right now by what what they did, you know, they hurt my feelings. They're an extension of my identity, my personality. And uh, it's been hard for me to look in the mirror today and yesterday and the day before that after how the Colts put up you know, 21 points and immediately like that. Yeah, and I think it's funny that, that, that you know, yesterday I was accused once again of, of I'm no longer a Texans fan because of the fact that what best all season happened. And that they lost. And I'm, now I'm no longer a Texans fan. I'm no longer a good blogger. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there's, a, there's definitely, like, a, a line with it. It's like, yeah, like, I want Houston to win, um, you know, and all that. But at the same time, whenever you're doing analysis and whatever, you know, on the side when I'm doing any, anything with, like, numbers or film, and it's not, you know, purple uh, poetry about, oh, you know, how, how beautiful Will Fuller's hair is. You know, those are two different types of articles and things to say. And so whenever it's any sort of, you know, things like this show or, you know, the film stuff and, and number stuff or whatever, like it's purely like this is the middle, this is what's going on, here it is. And you can either argue about it and I'm wrong, uh, which happens, you know, a lot of times too, or like you take and saying, well, this is interesting, I haven't thought of this before, and, you know, who knows, let's see what happens. But it's not, it's not anything to say necessarily that we're trying to pick on the team or, or anything else entirely. It's just like this is what's happening and this is what we thought was going to happen. And what we thought was going to happen this year was that the Texans are going to be really good against teams that couldn't throw the football. Against teams that could throw the football, they'd be bad because the secondary is really bad. And it was masked by a bunch of teams that couldn't throw the football and had to run the ball, not because they were good at running the ball and it was the best option for them to move their offense, but because it was the safest option. It was basically just you know risk aversion is all it was so that Josh Allen would throw interceptions and those sorts of things. And what Houston needed – was for Deshaun Watson to be absolutely spectacular. Uh, he was really pretty whatever, I would say. I wouldn't always say he was terrible or horrendous or uh, good, but he was pretty whatever. And he needed to score, you know, 28 points to win this game probably. I was thinking probably around like 31, and they scored seven. And he had a red zone turnover. He had or he, th- he had a bad turnover. He didn't convert on fourth and won the red zone. And he used to really stood no chance after that, uh, that end of half where they didn't score. So – that's kind of what happened. That kind of sums up like the season in, in the fastest way you possibly could. So going into this game, BFD, what the hell happened in that first half? I think, you know, and I'm just going to refer to your shallow thoughts. I, I think, number one, it was that, that Jonathan Joseph and the gang just had a really hard time uh, trying to handle things. They just couldn't do it. Um, you know, your very first gif is about, it's a third and 12. And this set really set the tone. The entire first drive, it seemed like, was set the tone. The tone was set by this third and 12 conversion. Was Joseph is playing an off coverage. 
He's expecting Hilton to make a cut. Instead, Hilton just sits right in front of him. Luck hits him with the ball, first down. And I was like, okay, third and 12. First time, we get him a little bit, you know, behind the clock. And boom, they convert the first down. And then they converted something ridiculous for the game. Was it like nine for 14 on the game? They converted third down. They could almost convert third downs at will. So that first play to me is like, what is the first half to you? It was just that first third down conversion. It was the fact that we just were not going to stop them. And I've got a lot more to say, but I'm passing it off to you now. Yeah, so the, the Colts' first four drives, or I guess I should say first five drives, went for 75, 74, 33 yards, which was the red zone interception that J.J. Watt forced. Because it's good to deflect passes, no matter what Logan McFarlane says, which is one that, like, there's <laughs> so takes. Yeah, you know, there's takes, and there's, like, looking at things in a deeper level. But to say that deflecting passes is bad, and that's why J.J. Watt is limiting his ceiling, or however the way he spun it, there's, there's like, there's finding God in a piece of celery, and that's what McFarlane was doing with that take. And uh, the last two drives didn't have were for 65 yards, which they immediately scored again, 62 yards. So through the first four drives they scored, the one they didn't was because of a turnover, and then they probably would have scored in the half. They ran out, uh, they ran out of timeouts. And also that was the play where, where uh, infamous, infamously, it's always going to live in my heart, was Spring Jackson yanking Inman's jersey, like, comically. <laughs> like, he looked like – Inman looked like the little girl in the sun bottle uh, with a dog yanking her diaper back. And, you know, that, that poor little girl, she's already dead of skin cancer somewhere. And so, like, those, like those four drives, I mean, Houston couldn't get anything going at all. And it was just, like, an absolute just – like just devastation from the Colts offense where they didn't even need to run route combinations to beat Houston and they still did it. And like, they were still able to scheme guys open, even they didn't need to, whatever they had pure man coverage and they just ran routes. They were open. Uh, Luck was so good at uh, maneuvering the pocket and getting out in space whenever there was even a little bit of pass rush. And, you know, even Clowney can use his interior moves because Luck just went out and seeped away and ran away. Uh, they couldn't really cover anybody at all. And Matthew had a really bad game. And then the, the really the surprising thing, too, is they even struggled stopping the run. And, like, especially off shotgun sets, too, where if any was able to get, like, eight yards out of a ram shotgun run, which is surprising. And then in all those third, third and short situations, any second short situations they had, they picked up first downs immediately, too. And so, like, I mean, it was just, like, to say, like, what happened the first half is, like, trying to describe, you know, Blizzard as, you know, one snowflake. It's not. It was – just so many, so many, just dozens of things. And the Texans were outplayed and outcoached and uh, just completely beaten that first half. And it was one – I wasn't – I was expecting the Colts to score a lot of points. I wasn't expecting them to score points like that. And I wasn't expecting the offense to be as bad as it was either. Yeah, and the, I think the one thing that really took me back about this game was um, you know, we talked about nobody can run on the Texans, and yet the Colts put up – Marlon Mack had six point. Uh, two yards of carry. Zach Pascal had a 14-yard rush. Even Jordan Wilkins pitched in a couple for four and a half yards. The game that Quentin Nelson played was he he moved uh, Jadavion Clowney all over the field at will. He pancaked him a couple of times on Saturday. It was one of the best like games I've ever seen from an offensive guard. I can remember. And the dude's a freaking rookie, and he completely owned Clowney or whomever he was matched up against all game. Yeah, he's super wide. And also, you know, regarding Nelson, everybody's going to talk – I mean, everybody – I guess I don't even know anybody who's talked about it. 
But on the internet, I've seen so much conversation regarding that Nelson uh, pancake and Cloudy, and it's entirely a hold. Like you look at the behind angle, and he's like, he has him wrapped up. Like he's bear hugging him. It's a hundred percent a hold. And like I understand there's this narrative to make Nelson, you know, the best guard out there. And he's really good. He's really good. But like pick a better play. He had a lot of great blocks in that game. How about you pick the play where he pulled and uh, drove Clowney, you know, six yards in the backfield, uh, catch him on trap, which never happens to Clowney at all whatsoever. Talk about those plays, not the one where he just grapples him and then suplexes him down, you know. Okay, so we'll talk about the 20-yard Mac uh, when he went left on, to the left side and Nelson pulled Clowney and just just drove him, drove him almost to the other uh, end zone. Is that the one you're referring to? Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, that was nice. That was and even, and even, like, whenever Clowney tried blitz in the interior, like, that was – you know, we'll talk about the defense in a second. One of the things that really uh, was despairing was that the matchup advantage they had against the Colts' offensive line was against their right guard, Mark Glowniski, and they didn't attack him enough at all whatsoever. Like, have Clowney do his stand-up rush against him. Have J.J. Watt line up against him. And I don't think they did that enough at all either. Uh, but can I go back into the first half too? So – I, I kind of have two numbers. So we needed Watson to be better. We knew Luck was going to be really good. So Luck, 16-22, completion percentage, 192 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 8.7 yards in attempt. Uh, Watson, the first half, 11 for 18, 90 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He was sacked once, and he had four total first downs. And so, BFT, what surprised you more, Luck shredding of Houston or Watson's just kind of overall ineptitude in this game? It was it was Watson. I mean, I don't think either of uh, – I'm not going to speak for you. Luck didn't surprise me. And this just, you know, point out that that interception that he got was on a J.J. Watt deflection. So even the interception was fluky. It wasn't like he threw a terrible ball. Mm-hmm. So it was – Luck just completely owned us in the first half. I, so, no, that doesn't surprise me. What surprised me, and I mentioned it during our, um, our threat, Hair of the Dog thread, is that – Watson had five yards and attempt in the first half, and that's just not acceptable. That means he's, A, either checking it down a lot, which he did, or, B, throwing a lot of, you know, interceptions, which he, relatively speaking, did, and C, which means he's not hitting DeAndre Hopkins enough. And so that, to me, was a number that really jumped out. This was, you know, we're going to talk about Watson, you know, a little bit more. I, I see it on the script. That was what shocked me, Matt, is that, Deshaun Watson did not look like the same guy we'd seen like all year. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really weird. And I think part of it, like part of it, he just missed throws and part of it too, you know, whenever I went back and watched the video of it, he just wasn't anticipating guys being open. He was watching one side of the field. He was locked on his first read and he was kind of hanging and hanging and waiting. And, uh, and like the Colts defense too, I mean, they had a counter for everything Houston wanted to do, aside from whenever Watson was used as a runner at all whatsoever, where, I mean, I, I, really, I really loved how whenever they were in bunch formations and they have, you know, three routes being run, they just sit on the two intermediate ones and cover those and then have their safety play, you know, seven yards off and just pray and just, like, wait for Watson to, you know, dump the ball off because that's his read. You know, he's taught, hey, read one, two, if it's not there immediately, throw three. And three's the check down, and three's tackled immediately because three's going to, you know, Alfred Blue. It's going to, you know, Cutie or Miller who don't have, you know, any, any chance to accelerate at all because the safety's sitting, you know, six yards off and is, and is ready and on their toes already uh, for that play. And there was a lot of that. And, like, that fourth down throw he missed, that was a really bad miss because 
he didn't anticipate the throw. You have Leonard who comes out wide. Uh, Hopkins is running a slant right behind him. The linebackers pulled that way. The safety is in position. And they actually dropped Marcus Hunt back in coverage. You know, you talk about don't drop Christian Covington coverage. And here's the Colts doing it. It kind of works where Watson can't throw for sure touchdown. But if he anticipates it, he can throw it to the left of Hunt. If he just holds on for just like five-tenths of a second, maybe at most, uh, he can throw it to the right of Hunt. Instead, he one-hops it. Hopkins doesn't stand chance. And, like, the game was pretty much over at that point as well, too. So, Watson, I think a lot of it was scheme. A lot of it was him, too. Um, the one thing that I really hate about Bill O'Brien's scheme this game was the run game. Watson should have been used as a runner so much more. I know in the second half they actually ran that zone read and zone lead play, and it worked great, and they just didn't do enough at all as well, too. Yeah, and let's wanted to pick out one specific. Oh, what happened to it? I had it right here. Wanted to pick out one specific play. It was we were deep in our own territory, second quarter, and uh, it was a first and fifteen. So we just got. I think it was a false start penalty. So it was first and fifteen, and Ryan Griffin. We had uh, Miller in the backfield. Ryan Griffin came into motion, and just as Ryan Griffin started in motion, both defensive tackles went right into their respective a gaps. And I'll be damned if it wasn't Lamar Miller right up the gut. And they stopped it for, I think it was loss of one or two. They were prepared for us just to run the ball up the middle because that's what we do. And I thought that one play was a perfect example of you do the same st- stupid things over and over and over and over again, like Lamar, run Lamar Miller up the middle, give Alfred Blue the ball, period, because all he's going to do is run the ball up the middle. Then we're going to get stopped. And the Colts did it perfectly. Yeah, I know, I know what play you're talking about, and that was a really good example, too, because Watson doesn't even – he's not even reading the defender at all there. Not at all. He, he's not. He's, he's either refusing to and just deciding to hand the ball off there, or it's a play without the option for him to run as well. And that's what I think it was, too, because you, know, you, have, you have Griffin pull across the formation. He's supposed to read the outside linebacker. The linebacker sits, and he just hands the ball off anyways, and you know, Miller doesn't stand a chance there at that point. Yeah, and there's no chance to hop it outside either. I mean, you've clogged up the middle – all you, your defensive ends have to do is set the edge, which is easy enough to do at that point in time because you're not crashing down because your defensive tackles are doing all the heavy lifting right in the middle of the field. Yeah, and and so what Houston did start off the game was they tried to take two deep shots. The first one's a Hopkins. I'm glad they didn't call pass interference. I hate whatever that play's called, pass interference. Whenever both – whenever like not – whenever the other defender's not beat but the ball's just in the same spot and you're just kind of like struggling to, to sit underneath it. And so I was, you know, glad they didn't call that one. The second throw, Vincent Smith, you know, he turns the wrong way. Watson throws it. I felt he threw it up the seam, not because of like an arm strength thing. I think he threw up the seam because the safety was chasing and he didn't want to lead the safety to the ball along with Smith. And like throw the ball like 65 yards in that direction is very difficult. And he probably would have underthrown it. So he threw up the seam and Smith wasn't ready for it. Hit him in the chest. And that was a really big miss too. But uh, I think the key about those two plays though is that Houston's answer to the Colts having you know, going up 7-0 and 14-0 was we need a big play right away. Like, we have to we have to get move down the field in an enormous chunk. And, like, I want them to throw the ball downfield. But, like, that kind of sums up where this offense is at, where they struggle moving the ball in an effective and efficient manner that's, you know, called by the offense where, like, they're designing yards and designing ways to have effective drives. And instead, the offense has been, like, throw the ball DeAndre Hopkins a lot, uh, throw it to him hot, throw it to him you know, as soon as you against man coverage, if that's not there, you're kind of your only option is for Watson to get out of the pocket and make something happen on his end or just throw the ball downfield really far and usually it goes to Hopkins too. And I think that's just like the uh, – probably the biggest, uh, I guess, indictment of Bill O'Brien as an offensive coordinator this year 
and also as a head coach, is that he had all year long to make this offense better, have be better prepared for this game. And by just trying to score 20 points in week six through, you know, week 12, whatever it was, I really hurt the offense. I think really hurt Deshaun Watson this year. And I think it hurt like their ability to, you know, sustain effective drives consistently, especially when you're playing one versus one, having to play shootout with Andrew Luck. And the Texans just simply weren't able to at all. Yeah. And I will say, I did like the strategy of coming out and trying to do something deep. I did like that. I mean, the, the first play of the game reminded me of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. You had Mont Schaub off the play action throwing downfield to Jacoby Jones. I think that was like 2008. And that set the tone for the rest of the game. Of course, that was the game that Schaub got hurt and ruined our playoff chances, but whatever. Yeah, that was uh, 2011. We're not that old. Yeah, oh, we're not that oh, that's old. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not that old. I watched that game with Dilatex. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it reminded me of that. It was like, okay, good. Let's come out aggressive. Hey, if we bust open a big one first play of the game, you know, baller. Uh, it didn't work. And the one that really killed me was the Vincent Smith one. Um, that's that's the experience factor. That's having a lot of injured guys. I think I think Will Fuller. If Will Fuller's running that route, I think it's a catch. But I, I you know, I'm just going to jump on the bandwagon too and say I don't think you ever rely on Will Fuller to play 16 games a season for you. So you're going to have to have guys be able to come in, step up, and make plays for you. And Smith didn't do that. He did it against the Eagles. He didn't do it on Saturday. Yeah, and that, throw, and that catch against the Eagles was like it couldn't be any easier at all. This one was like a really tough catch, and you know, I understand him missing it. Uh, but he just wasn't ready and you know, just turned the wrong direction. I guess it's just more like the idea that that was, that was the only answer Houston had was just throw the ball deep. And, you know, the Colts were playing man coverage on the outside. They went safety deep. That was the, the read and the throw to make. And, you know, both times they were able to make it. And the weird thing, too, is like Houston didn't really go back to that in the second half at all or the rest of the first half. And the Colts, you know, they went up 21-0. They just played, you know, cover two the entire time. And they dropped their linebackers back pretty deep, made sure no throws were going to kind of get behind them at all. And so, like, Watson had better stats in the second half, mainly because he had plenty of time to, you know, collect speed to run around linebackers. Uh, he was able to find QD, ran a lot of drag routes, and he was able to run across the lateral zones. So they were able to pass him off. And then Lamar Miller was able to actually get some yards and dump offs because he had uh, full speed to run forward on those plays too. And so, like, I don't think Watson was, you know, that much better in the second half than the first half. I think the biggest difference was that the defense was just, you know, playing pretty much just off, just sitting in cover two and just kind of checking and waiting and just wanting, you know, wanting to get out there to go to Kansas City, which is the first time anybody's ever wanted to do that. <laughs> right. Got my, it. Wife, my wife and I just had this argument. Son, do you want to go to Kansas City? No. I just, who the heck wants to ever go to Kansas City? <laughs> Nobody wants to go to Kansas City. Who cares? <laughs> I actually I went there on purpose, but it, it was like the end of a road trip where we went up to Chicago and the Smoky Mountains and stuff. And I had a cousin in Kansas City, so we stopped there on the way back. Uh, stay in the probably the worst motel I've stayed in my entire life, and uh, just hilariously disgusting. And the food, like I did enjoy the little bit of food I had there and all that, but we were so tired at the end of the trip. That, like I really have zero fond memories of Kansas City in my you know, sixteen hours I was there. So awesome, eat at KC. Um, so let's let's segue. I know we're skipping a little bit ahead in the script here. But let's segue to DeAndre Hopkins because I think that because we're talking about the way that they played the uh, the deep kind of the deep cover two kind of a deep kind of the Tampa two where you had your your the middle deep right and they just shut down DeAndre Hopkins. Golly, I'm not even sober tonight. It's DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins. Watson. Get it right, yeah. DeAndre Watson. Get it right, DeAndre Watson. So where they <laughs> shut him down completely? I mean, he had. 
He had 10 targets, caught five of them for 37 yards. We talked last week. We even had that as, as a specific topic. Can the Texans win without DeAndre Hopkins having a big game? And the answer clearly was, hell no. Yeah, did you think he was injured in this one? He's not the guy I thought was – he was injured. He was having – was an ankle problem. Yeah, I saw he had an AC sprain, but it's not going to require surgery or anything. And uh, But, like, he just didn't look right in this game at all. He, he didn't look like – and I'll also say flat out, I don't think Deshaun Watson looked healthy. He did not look right to me either. He looked like he was not – I don't. I don't even want to speculate, but he did not look like he was. He was normal. Yeah, and Texian Army had a comment saying the same thing that he felt Watson didn't look normal either. And the weird thing about Watson was he just wasn't stepping up into any of his throws at all. He was like constantly like on his back foot instead of stepping forward into him. He was stepping, you know, like wide to the left and those sorts of things. And yeah, it was weird. Like he, he. I know he was talking about yeah, like I didn't have any time. I didn't have anywhere to step up in the pocket. That's why. I struggle as much as he did, but I mean, he's been dealing with it all year and I've watched the video like the pass rush that Indy got wasn't really all that great. Like it wasn't any better than it was the second time these two teams played whenever he lit them up pretty well and they were able to score 21 and, uh, and that sort of thing. So I was really kind of surprised by those comments. Yeah. I, I just don't get it because in the, the, his, his, he was, Short on a lot of balls, which is not what he normally does. He normally goes deep when he misses. And his his uh, passes did not have really any velocity behind him either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, and the, the other weird thing, too, about the Texans' offense is that, you know, the Colts are running cover, too, for the majority of the game. And, like, you either want to run, you know, kind of drag routes or you want to go bunch ride and, overflow, and overload the zone. Uh, and drag routes are great because, like, what QD was doing where he just ran across the horizontal parts of it. And then also the big hole in that zone is between the cornerback and then the safety and that kind of like upper right-hand part of the field, upper left-hand part of the field. The reason why that defense works really well is that it's really hard to throw the ball to that part of the field. And But like all this year, though, you see DeAndre Hopkins running corner routes and Watson putting it perfectly over the cornerback and uh, below the safety in between both levels of the defense. And that throw wasn't there at all in this game. And so that's the only reason why I think DeAndre Hopkins was probably hurt and uh, just because that throw wasn't there, he wasn't even running corner routes, or it's a complete oversight by Bill O'Brien, a complete negligence on his part by not running those routes to get the ball up there in that spot because the Texans have been hitting that spot uh, with those two, you know, all season long. Yeah, and, you know, that's the throw Deshaun Watson, I think, in a normal game can make, and I just, I don't know. I just keep going back and forth. That's the one thing. One thing that's really stuck in my craw, aside from the coaching, is that, what was wrong with Watson? What was wrong with Hopkins? Yeah, and overall, uh, Watson was 29 for 49 for 235 yards, 4.79 yards in attempts, so not quite the name-redacted territory, but this was a, a name-redacted type of game where you're throwing the ball 50 times, you're not even getting you know, six and a half, seven yards in attempt. Uh, you're better off like – like a good run offense was just as good as Watson. Whenever he's throwing the ball, and he was you know, sacked three times, he had that one a bad reception, of course, where, you know, Kenny Moore peels off his guy. Watson's watching uh, Ryan Griffin the entire time, and he peels off and is able to, to grab that one. Uh, the last thing I want to say about DeAndre Hopkins, too. Hold on. I want to jump, I want to jump in on that pass. I yeah, got yeah. to because that play call was so stupid. You have two guys running similar hooks right there in the middle of the field next to each other. You are literally saying to the, to the guys covering each of them, 
look, if it goes to this guy, you jump him. If it goes to this guy, you jump him. That play call, that play design was stupid. That, oh my God, that play call drove me up the wall. Sorry. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and that's a great point too, because those routes were, you know, way too close next to each other. They were probably about four yards different away from each other. And it gives Kenny Moore, you know, the complete ability to break on that ball. And even like if Watson threw it to, you know, the guy Kenny Moore was on, I think Kenny Moore still could probably play on the ball just because of the angle that that throw would have had to be to go that far. You know, either it would have been a wide left incompletion or more still would have even been able to make a play on that ball just by how close those routes were together. I watched that play probably seven to ten times. Yeah, yeah, probably seven to ten, somewhere in there, like during the commercial break after that happened. And I am convinced that there is not a, a an area that Watson could have thrown the ball on that play to those two receivers that would have been resulted in completion for the Texans and about two out of three throws is going to be picked off by a Colt. Yeah. It wasn't there. Yeah. And that's also like you're on, I think it was fourth and four in that play too. And like, that's your best play. Whenever you have a fourth and four in a playoff game, that's what you're going to run is you know short curls to people to Ryan Griffin who can't get anything after the catch. And Ryan Griffin was, I think one for this is off the top of my head, or actually it may not have to be because I have it right here in front of me. Ryan Griffin, this game, one for five for six yards uh, was this game in a playoff game. And, you know, Jordan Akins, two for three, eight yards. Jordan Thomas, I think, was only targeted twice. Didn't have a catch at all. But, uh, yeah, Ryan Griffin in a playoff game, one for five, six yards. That is uh, – Thomas was not targeted. But, yeah, this was – this game, for anybody who's still out there defending Ryan Griffin, and you're going to continue to do it anyway because you can't possibly be wrong. If you're still – if at this point in time you're still defending Ryan Griffin, one catch out of five targets is peak Ryan Griffin. The only thing that he could have done even worse this game is line up his fullback. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's even like, – even the most extreme – I've never seen my stick up for Ryan Griffin, even the, like, even, uh, the most extreme you know, devotees of this team, I guess. Even though I don't think devotees is how you say that at all. That just sounds like somebody who really likes um, – Devo. Devo. And I, and I was like, the eye of the tiger, but Devo doesn't make the eye of the tiger. He makes that other song about the tiger. Whip it. They did whip it. Oh, no. no. See, I got confused with that metal guy with the long hair. Devo? What's that guy's name? Yeah. No, see, there's still people out there defending Alfred Blue who still think Alfred Blue is the best running back on this roster. I damn well will tell you, if somebody's defending Alfred Blue and his 3.1 yards carry, they're defending Ryan Griffin. Yeah, no, it's Dio. Dio is the person I meant to say. Oh. Yeah. We're here. We're back now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think finally, uh, just with two gifts, I was able to show, kind of like sum up the Alfred Blue experience. It's really bad. Hopefully next year he's on this team at all. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to bring up to this game was, I think Bill O'Brien was severely outcoached offensively versus defensively. Uh, I mean, the Colts' defensive game plan was awesome. Like, I, one of the things that I really kind of was interested to see was when the Texans did run that, like, long developing play action pass. If somebody was going to, you know, blitz right there at that moment or slant inside whenever Calamente goes to pull. And sure enough, they did it. Muhammad sacked, you know, Watson immediately on that play that put Houston in a long third down situation. Um, and again, like, just forcing Watson to throw short and throw dump offs because that's what O'Brien's route, that's what Watson's route progression is. Uh, in the offense that O'Brien designed was, uh, wasn't, I would say, fun to say, see as a Texans fan, but it was like something that was, I kind of thought teams were doing 
and that kind of uh, supplanted that. That you know, that's what defenses are doing. They're forcing Watson through those dump offs whenever he's kind of stuck in the offense. And the other thing he did that I really liked was they brought the slot corner blitz back, and it worked in the second half more than it did in the first half, especially when it was up against you know Kendall Lamb. Uh, was there anything else that the defense did specifically that you liked, or I guess not so liked that you saw that took advantage of Houston's offense? No, you hit on all the big ones for me, and I, I think the other thing is just the the linebacker play was absolutely maze balls by the Colts all game. So Darius Leonard is a monster. Yeah, and like watching him and Anthony Walker just run around with their hands in a fish, just dancing after every third down. Uh, if you're a Colts fan, I think it would be probably my favorite thing about being a Colts fan is are those moments there. Yeah, no, that's they're they're pretty odd. that. And, and they got, we've talked about, they've got all the cap space in the world. This team is really built, and I'm, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah, I Chris, hate the being good. Yeah, I, I, I just hate Peyton Manning. I don't mind Andrew Luck. Actually, I really like Andrew Luck. I like Chris Bauer. He, if I had a vote for executive of the year, uh, I would give it to him. And, you know, he's done, and even like, not even this year, like everybody saw my way, great job did, he did this year. He did a great job last year, you know, and uh, Kenny Moore he got last year. Desir's guy he got last year. Uh, that a lot of their front seven pieces, except for their rookie linebackers, he got last year. So he's just an, he's just done a spectacular job there. Um, the other idea that's kind of been thrown around now that the Texans season is over is that the Texans should go out and get an offensive coordinator for Bill O'Brien. And like I, the way I feel about it is that I think it'd be good. Mainly, and my this is my theory is that O'Brien doesn't make adjustments quick enough. He doesn't see the game quick enough, mainly because he's on the sideline is, is my idea. Whereas you have an offensive coordinator who's up there in the booth, who can see the entire field. He can see what coverage is being run immediately, like instantly. You're like, oh, okay, after like one series, like, okay, this is what they're doing. Uh, we're going to try to do this or this or this or that. Uh, like, and the perfect example I have is that in that second Colts game, the Colts played cover three, cover four the entire game. And it took until – two minutes and three seconds left in the game for Ryan Griffin to run a seam route and for Deshaun Watson to throw a seam route to him. And immediately he's in between the, the biggest hole in the defense, catches it, runs for 36 yards. The Texans score, you know, a few plays later. And unfortunately they were able to get the ball back to try to win that game in regulation at that time. But like that throw shouldn't take you uh, 58 minutes to realize it's there because they're running the same coverage all game. And that, that was really inexcusable. And so I would, I would like to see an offensive coordinator just because of this theory that I have. I think it make the offense better. One, because Bill O'Brien hasn't done a very good job at scheming this offense this year. Uh, he went too much to that you know, shotgun sort of stuff, and then Watson got hurt. But like, this isn't nearly as good as the offense that he had last year when Watson first came through. And, again, I think he's just seeing things way too slowly and things that like, aren't even like me being a big, dumb idiot, you know, the very small brain. And sees, see this pretty quickly. Oh, this is what they're doing. Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing this? And Bill O'Brien needs to be able to recognize that in game instead of waiting until, you know, there's, there's two minutes left in the fourth quarter to see openings and advantages like that. Yeah, and, and I guess what I'll say to that is, is just go back to the start of the season and what we saw and how long it took for things like chipping pass rushers to help or to happen or even setting the right guys on the left on the offensive line. I think the biggest reason we saw such a step back offensively this year is because Bill O'Brien is so devoted to his offense. Remember, he's the guy who coached Tom Brady. 
Like, that's the, that's the big thing on his resume is he coached Tom Brady and had some level of success at, at Pitt. But yeah. he, he's not a he, – well, there's, no, there's nothing in his record that says he's, his offensive game plan works. Tom Brady ran his freaking offense, and Tom Brady ran it more like his offense than he did Bill O'Brien's offense. But Bill O'Brien is so married to the idea of that offensive scheme where Tom Brady is literally the only person in the world who can run it because he was probably ignoring Bill O'Brien the entire time anyway. So it, to me, it's a hard-headedness of I'm going to run my scheme. I don't care if I'm trying to put square pegs and the hexagonal holes here and round holes here and triangle holes here. I'm going to run my scheme, players and skills be damned, rather than adjust. That's why we saw at the beginning of the year, it looked like we had Tom Savage back at freaking quarterback, like Matt. Yeah, yeah, and there was there was too much that time where like he was coaching, like the Texans still have Brian Hoyer at quarterback. Brian Hoyer's gone; he's never coming back. You don't need to worry, Bill. Deshaun Watson's really good. Uh, yeah, and, and like I know, I know last year a lot of that a lot of Deshaun Watson's production was just because of an abnormally high touchdown rate. He'll probably never get close to eclipsing again. But who knows with the way the NFL is now? I think Patrick Mahomes might have broke the touchdown rate record. I don't know. I need to go back and look at it. But, yeah, like, I mean, I just think he sees things way too late. I think there was a lot of good things he did with the offense with, you know, using Deshaun Watson, taking pieces of it last year. And I remember the, the summer we spoke about him, and he had that quote, was like, yeah, we got to do things different. We can't do the same things we did last year. And then he came out this season, and what he did was, wasn't what he did last year. It was just what he did the three years previously with that run, run, shotgun pass. And you're supposed to read against every defender on the field all at once which is, you know, kind of like an impossible thing to do. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, it's, been, it's been kind of a weird thing. My favorite thing about Tom Brady now is that even if you're a backup quarterback his, of his now, that's all you need to get a head coaching job if you backed up Tom Brady once upon a time. So, I'm excited for Ryan Mallett to be like the head coach at, you know, South Central Louisiana State one day. Or to have played defense with Tom Brady. Yeah, that helps out too. <laughs> and then you're a leader of men, I guess. Well, I, I would do anything Mike Rabel told me to do. Like, there's not, there's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for him. <laughs> I have a poster up in my wall, and I hit it every day. You know, like that Notre Dame thing, like play like a champion. Today, it's like oh, I'm doing it for Mike today. Every day, I'm doing it for Mike. I'm living in his honor. Oh my goodness gracious! But yes, it, it, Coach, this is this is what we've had a hard time with the entire season. You can't play for twenty points. And then expect in a playoff game that all of a sudden you're going to hit. And, okay, I'll be fair, 22, was it, 22.8 points a game that the offense scored, not the defense. So yeah, let's make a, sure we – it's a big distinction to make, too. Because the defense scored several touchdowns this year, and that, that adds like three points per game. So let's make the distinction that the offense has not been able to do the job because Bill O'Brien's playing for field goals, and it's you, you can't hit the accelerator in a playoff game against a good defensive team, which I hate saying, and expect the team to have success. This has been lining up all season. Yeah. Uh, so if Houston went out and got an offensive coordinator, is there anybody that you would want to, to take on that job? I know I got, I got an email, and I was kind of asked a few times, like, why doesn't Sean Ryan have that job? And, like, I don't know. Like, I've never – I don't know. Like, I don't, he's never had an offensive coordinator role before. Like, how would I know what he could do if he just got that job out an hour? So – is there someone that you'd like to see be the offensive coordinator in Houston if Bill O'Brien decided to go that route? Yeah, Bruce Arians. Oops. See, here's the problem. The whole problem with this idea is that 
is, is after Gotsi got fired and Bill O'Brien took over being the offensive coordinator, that there was never, there's never going to be going back. Like, this is all on Bob's ego at this point in time. And as we can see, it's a pretty damn big ego because if you think you're going to be a good offensive coordinator, but you keep – for your fifth year now, your offense is straight trash. No matter who your quarterback is, first you thought you could turn Ryan Fitzpatrick into your quarterback. Then it was Brian Hoyer. Then it was Ryan Mallett. And then it was Tom Savage. And these are the guys you're going out and getting, saying these are the guys. And, and Rick Smith saying the city of Houston is going to love these guys. And these are the guys you're going out to go get and think you're going to be successful, you've already failed. Now you have Deshaun Watson. You've got who is now, today, a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And we are the 21st best offense by DVOA. That's not because of the run game or because of the offensive line. That's because you don't know how to use your shiny toy. You're still taking your, your 2019 Ferrari out once a week to go get some milk at the corner store that's four blocks away. You're not using your shiny toy the right way. So it's never going to happen. The one guy who I was hoping would fall to this, Bruce Arians, he got the job in Tampa today. Even Cliff, Kings, Cliff Kingsbury got a head coaching job as the Cardinals today. If you bring in a Sean Ryan, it's going to be just like George Godsey. He's going to have almost really no say in the offense. It's still going to be Bill O'Brien's offense. And Bill O'Brien's still going to be doing the play calling. I think that in today's NFL, the role of a head coach has changed drastically than it when it kind of the perception that, or maybe the perception that I had growing up, where the head coach kind of brings together all sides of the team to bring a coordinated response. I don't think that's true anymore. And especially it cannot be true if you're also the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because of Bob's ego. And we're going to look at the same dadgum crap show next year offensively as we did this year because Bob ain't going to change. Yeah, yeah, and I've liked the idea of it, but I completely agree with you. I don't think we're going to see it at all this year. I think Bill O'Brien is just going to be the offense coordinator. That's what's going to happen. The other weird thing, too, about it is that Bill O'Brien isn't very good at all the in-game managing to begin with, even whenever he wasn't calling plays. So I wouldn't use your timeouts. Um, how to, like – you know, the Texans came out of the huddle so many times unprepared since he's been the coach. Uh, how to, When to kick a field goal, when to go for it, when you should punt. And so all those sort of like important in-game decisions he's just done a really poor job of too. So if he's not calling plays, it's kind of like what is he good for other than the players said they like playing for him. And the one thing he did in this game that really also made, made me upset was whenever he didn't he, – he let the clock go down to the two-minute warning instead of getting another playoff at that point. Because, you know, in a different universe, the Texans could score there. They're about like, you know, 17 yards out. Then they have two timeouts and – the, they have three timeouts in the two-minute warning, so they get the ball back from another timeout. They possibly kick a field goal, then get the ball back after the half, and all of a sudden, like, you're, you have a shot. Like, you have a chance to turn this into a game again. And instead, you know, it's sit there and just let the clock drain down. Oh, this is it. We're going to make sure that, that if we don't score here, then the first half of this game is probably over. And, like, that can't happen. Like, you get to put your team – give your team every opportunity to score, every chance to put points out there, and, you know, he just didn't do that in that one situation. And, like, I'm still, like, I, it's not, if I say I can't believe it's not true because he's done it so many times, it's just one of those things that's just, like, just super infuriating, you know? Yeah, and just look at the Clemson-Alabama game last night. Uh, is it just yet another example that the teams that win are the teams that treat every play as being important and treat the clock as being a precious thing? The only thing finite in a football game is time, and Bill O'Brien doesn't treat it like that. 
And that's where I have huge problems with the strategy. And, and not, again, it's not going to change. 2019, we're going to have the same, we're going to have the same exact conversations, Matt. Yeah, maybe the only, I mean, I still feel like 2019 is going to be good. Uh, the, the big question is just about the schedule maybe some of the regression too with the one score games. Um, I'm still looking forward to 2019 and pay what they do this off season because the team is going to have probably like $80 million in cap space. They have draft capital. Uh, maybe Will Fuller, Kiki Cutie, can all, and Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins can all be healthy at the same time because that's one of like probably the five best receiving cores in football, and they can uh, get all three of those wide receivers healthy and together. Ryan Griffin may not be here. Alpha Blue may not be here. Deontay Foreman will probably be healthy. Uh, they could actually go out and find a fourth-round running back instead of ever seeing Alpha Blue ever again. Uh, maybe the same thing with Ryan Griffin too. So I do think the Wolf Fuller injury, we didn't – we didn't really th- we didn't realize how cash dropping it was at the time. By then, that was kind of the big development of this offense, and it never fully reached the limits it could have, or the, reached the heights it could have reached if he was healthy. But uh, you know, overall, even with that happening, you know, Bill Bryan still didn't do a very good job at you know, managing this team and going and bouncing back from that injury. They kind of were just like the same, and so and there's too much of that rigidness and just uh, conservatism that doesn't need to be there when you have Deshaun Watson at quarterback. Yeah, and let's put the what the season turned out to be. Let's put it in perspective at this point. They started out zero and three. They won nine straight games, so they're nine and three at that point in time. And we wound up at uh, uh, eleven and six. So we went two for three. Uh, the is that right? Yeah, my math is hard on the fly sometimes. We went two for three the last five games of the season because we had to play teams that actually threw the ball. Yeah, and even the Jets were able to throw the ball on them. Even Blake Bortles had opportunities to hit D.D. Westbrook deep, and he just missed completely because he's lost all ability to throw the ball downfield. And it's still one of the weird – one of the, like, everybody thinks Bortles has been completely awful all the time. He was okay last year. Like, he can make some throws, and this year he hasn't been able to at all. And even he had the opportunity to do so against Houston. So, I don't know. Like, if it, it was – we knew what needed to happen. Uh, we thought what was going to happen happened. But at the same time, like, I still had a crescent moon in my heart of hope that Deshaun Watson would be spectacular on Saturday, and he wasn't. And I think that's kind of the big takeaway from this game. Yeah, and you can see it in, my, in the thread on the hair of the dog. I kept saying the only person who can, who can pull Bill O'Brien over the finish line is Deshaun Watson. I had faith up until probably midway through the third quarter that he could do it, and he just couldn't. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't his game, I guess. And a lot of the rookie quarterbacks this week, or like a lot of the younger quarterbacks this past weekend, I didn't have a very good game. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the defense. And we're back. So going back to the Colts' offense, one of the things I was adamant about entering this game, let me say that one more time. Let's try that again. One of the things I was adamant about entering this game, it wasn't that it was just T.Y. Hilton. It was everybody. It was Eric Ebron. It was Don Charles Inman. It was Charles Rogers. It was Naheem Hines. It was Zach Pascal's hell. Uh, even though, like, Hines and Pascal didn't do anything, but, you know, you get the points. The point. It wasn't that the Texans couldn't cover T.Y. Hilton. It was that they couldn't cover any of their wide receivers was kind of the problem they were facing. And so this game, Hilton at 85 yards. He had catch rate 50%. And Jonathan Joseph did a surprisingly, like, really good job covering him whenever they were man coverage against each other. And he's, like, super physical with Hilton, which was, you know, cool to see. Um, it's always fun, like, watching Jonathan Joseph be really good instead of, you know, get burned on, you know, 30-yard plays. Uh, Inman at 53 yards. He had a touchdown. He drew two penalties against Krim Jackson, too. 
that DPI I talked about earlier, and then a holding penalty that negated a Whitney Merciless sack too. Charles Rogers had 46 yards. Even around 26 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so are you surprised at all that Hilton didn't devastate Houston more than he did? No, because they kind of – when you have um, Marlon Mack rushing the ball 24 times for 148 yards, you really don't need to destroy the secondary. They're, you're already getting easy yards on the ground against us. And I think that's how especially the second half turned out is that Indy kind of took their foot off the pedal, which is another thing that kept giving me hope is they weren't running up the score. But they were getting so many easy yards with Marlon Mack that it's like you don't have to take the risk of throwing the ball against us and getting another pass deflected and a, maybe a touchdown return on a deflected pass. Uh, so the, in, uh, if you look at some of the other things in perspective, you mentioned a couple times the Dontrell Illman, that should have been an easy touchdown if not for a Petey Faggins-like hold by Green uh, <laughs> Jackson. And the one thing that really surprised the heck out of me was Eric Ebron only had three catches for on six targets, one of them being a touchdown. That one shocked me. But otherwise, oh, and then Sharice Wright, of course, he gave up uh, he gave up another Sluggo touchdown, which was just another work of art. Yeah, I wouldn't call that one a Sluggo, though. I would call that a corner route because he just yeah, like, he that made one cut wide. And, like, I know he wanted it to be a double move. I wanted it to be a double move, but I would call that a corner you're, route. You're probably right. I just – it was just – I'm never going to think – I'm going to think Sharice right. I'm going to think Sluggo. It's never going to separate ever again. <laughs> that and just, like, out of nowhere, just making miraculous stops on six-yard slant routes and losing his mind over them, which just, like, reciprocates just the double move that ended up just torching the entire year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I agree with you on this, point, on this too, with Hilton that – I mean, he didn't do much in the second half. He just had that one absurd sideline catch, and I – I still have no idea how, like, they were able to pull that reception off. But, like, with the entire second half where they needed a score, Hilton probably would have had 200 yards. And as good as Jonathan Joseph was in this game, you know, it, was, it came kind of with a stipulation that the Colts, kind of in the second half, not trying to do a whole lot. Uh, and the one thing the Colts did well, like you mentioned, was they ran the ball well in the second half. And they also took time off the clock. Their last three drives this game were for 38, 30, 51 yards. They were able to ice the game at that point just by running Marlon Mack. Those drives lasted for uh, two minutes and 24 seconds, two minutes and 58 seconds, and four minutes and nine seconds. And so that's about you know, three-fourths of a quarter of football just evaporated to end the game where Houston needs you know, two touchdowns to come back, and they even give them the opportunity to do so as well too. Yeah, and it goes back to the efficiency factor as well. As we're putting up our you know, 4.7 yards per play, and they're putting up 6.3, and you know, they're moving the ball and able to – crunch time off the clock we're moving the ball and also eating time off the clock because we're not moving it very quickly mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point I also I you know, talking about Ebron too he had two catches he probably could have taken who made one was that throw the sideline that Justin Reeves they'll make a play on and the second one was that hit uh Reed gave to Ebron in the chest that would have been a touchdown but Ebron was able to hang on and like Ebron outweighs Reed probably by like 40, 50 pounds or so. Like 70 or something they said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like Reed crushed him. He's like dead in the end zone. And it just reminded me of the end of the wrestler whenever he jumps off the turnbuckle one last time. You don't know if he's dead or alive or not. But it doesn't matter because he's doing what he loves. That's, I, I love that analogy. Well done. Uh, we have plenty more. We have plenty more. So next, uh, also Tyron Matthew had a really bad game too. He couldn't tackle Marlon Mack. A lot of his tackles are also, like, those ones where he grabs the guy low and swings him ahead for three more yards. And, like, those are – that's 
third downs, like third and shorts are important. Second and shorts are important for Houston's defense because of how good their run defense is. That second short can come second three pretty quickly. Uh, he had and like he has this weird hitch in his step in man coverage, and like he had to play a lot more man than he wants to play. The good thing about Matthew this year was that he allowed Houston to play three safeties deep and not have to play as many as their bad cornerbacks as possible. And so he's a little bit out of position because you don't play a more shallow, uh, strong safety, like shallow zone at that robber position than playing uh, straight up man coverage than you, know, you would want him to. Like overall, like I'm going to stand on this. Uh, I'll be buried in it. The Texans shouldn't resign Tyron Matthew. He's a fine player. He makes you think he's better than he is because of his antics, if you like this sort of personality, because of how, like, motivational is, I guess. I guess because you, you really care about his feelings and he's happy in Houston, which I'm glad he enjoyed his season here. When you talk about, like, a team that's trying to be better than 11-5 and make it to an AFC title game eventually, I do think the Texans would be better off with Andre Howe, Kareem Jackson, because Jackson can actually blitz and make tackles and make the plays that Matthew you know, wants to make but can't. And then Andre Howell is a is much better deep player too. So I would rather have those three guys than Matthew, especially if the other league, the rest of the league, you know, values them as maybe I think they do, where he could get like eight or nine million dollars off the field. Um, so what are your thoughts on Matthew BFD? Yeah, I, I do not like resetting Matthew. If somebody's going to say he's worth seven million a year, and you know what, he couldn't get a good deal in this offseason. I really don't care what, any, what anybody says. Yes, he may have wanted to come to Houston, but he signed for like five million. Look, you're twenty. 26 years old you know your career may not last very long you don't sign a one-year five million dollar deal because you have a four-year 28 million dollar deal or even a four-year 20 million dollar deal on the table from a bad team you still don't sign in that you still take the guaranteed money and I just I, I don't think there's going to be heavy demand for him and I think it's going to still be in that area somebody might go out there the Jets might go out and sign him for seven eight nine million dollars it should not be us yeah, I don't think the Jets will because they put a bunch of money in their defense just be mediocre, and they have pretty decent safety play. So I, don't know, I think a team will probably give them $9 million. Like, I didn't really realize why everybody thought Matthew was as good as he was because, you know, his two interceptions, they were interceptions that bounced off the receiver's hands. His four sacks were just straight, you know, free path blitzes. This wasn't Cream Jackson dive-bombing over the running back to make a play and force a fumble. These were like, yeah, he, shouldn't, he should make the sack here. He has a wide-open lane. Jadavion Clowney opened this rush for him. And I I played my first game at Madden since I was like, I guess in like, man, probably eight years or so at a friend's of mine house. And Tyron Matthews in 91 in that game. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I got it. I got it. Everybody thinks Ryan Matthews is really good because he's 91 in Madden. I think a lot of that's what's driving kind of like the way Texas fans feel about him. And also I can understand why you think he's cool and all that, but you know, overall, I think he's a mediocre player, and he used to be better off keeping Kareem Jackson instead of him just because of the, the greater impact Jackson can have on the run game and, you know, playing short in his own, I believe Matthew can. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I still if, – if I'm evaluating the talent at safety and Kareem Jackson is the uh, unrestricted free agent this year, I'm signing Jackson, and I want uh, – you still have Andre Howell and um, – you know, just reads your, your safety of the future. I mean, so which one of those guys does Tyron Matthew actually start over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so, and also, I had a question about the secondary because Kevin Johnson, you know, he said he's healthy now. He's clear to play. John and Joseph, I assume they're going to keep him around. They don't save that much money by cutting him. 
Uh, Sharice Wright, I, I hope, doesn't stick around. But who do you think is going to still be here next season on the Texas secondary? Because it was the worst part of this team. I know there's a lot of talk about the offensive line. We need offensive linemen. We need cornerbacks. The worst part of this team is the secondary, and it's the most important aspect of this team that needs to be improved going to next year. Yeah, and I really just hate this question because I the options aren't good. Oh, shoot. I pulled up the free agents, and I wish I had it handy again. But the free agents that are out there at cornerback this year are, like, the opposite of uninspiring. I mean, if you're thinking – Looking back at last year's cornerback class, I think that Aaron Colvin was one of the best free agents out there. I think he would be the best free agent cornerback out there this year. They are very uninspiring group. Uh, so I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, we have to get Joseph back. Kevin Johnson, you're going to bring back just because he's you have control over him. But you can't. there's no way I would say he's one of my starting cornerbacks. I would look at him and say he's my fourth or fifth cornerback on the team. I need to go do other things. I'm not sure how this team's going to address cornerback next year, Big Matt. Yeah, and I think with Johnson, too, like, he has a – he already signed his fifth-year option, but they could still cut him and have to pay him it, and they would save $9 million. And also, I think one one thing that's important for free agency is I, I looked at the free agent stuff, and, like, none of these guys are good. It's all bad. But the same thing happens every year. You know, Tremaine Johnson wasn't uh, kept around. He didn't sign his restricted offer. And so those things are going to happen, too, where even though the class looks bad right now, Talented players are going to hit the market. It's the same thing that happens every year. So even though there isn't a lot of guys that you want, you would want at the moment, guys are going to pop up. There'll be opportunities to do so. But yeah, I mean, I would say, well, I think Brian Gaines smart. I don't think he's going to keep Matthew around because he's smart. He's intellectual like I am. And so I think we're going to see, you know, Hal, uh, Jackson, Reed, Joseph, maybe Johnson. I would cut him because he, he's just been a disaster. Uh, he hasn't been good. Even when he's healthy during this year, he was bad. He was bad in the preseason even this year. Getting burned by San Francisco and having that back concussion in that game. And then getting concussed you know, immediately afterwards, immediately into the season. It was bad when he was on the field then too. And I think you just have to you do what you can from there. I don't know what's going to be yet. But uh, this is an important time to take solace in the fact that the Texans should franchise tag AJ Boyd. That, that should we should almost sign off shows like that. The Texans should have franchised Boye, <laughs> drop the mic, and walk away. When you look at just looking quickly at who's out there, Eric Rowe played all four games this year. Bradley Roby is fine, but I think he's like twenty eight or twenty nine. Mo Claiborne, remember him? The only guy yeah, who I really he's pretty was, mediocre. I wanted Claiborne last year because he's like a fine, you know, six million dollar, seven million dollar quarterback. You know, he's fine. He's fine. Uh, Rashawn Melvin is out there. Um, he did not play every game this season. He got benched, I'm pretty sure, during the season, but he's also 29. The only guy who I'd really jump at, like, seriously, is Jason Barrett. Hope he's got – he can come back from his Achilles injury. And the other – only two that I would even be really interested are Ronald Darby and Darquise Denard. Uh, Denard is intriguing in some ways, but it's not a great class. Yeah, and Darby wasn't even that good in Philly before he got hurt this year, too. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles secondary taking the turn it's taken has been one of the strangest things I've ever seen uh, in a football season. We're like, they went from complete butt and terrible to like, and they weren't even good against Houston either. And then all of a sudden, in two weeks, they're like, what, the fifth best, one of the best secondaries in the playoffs right now? I have no idea how that happened. It's weird, very weird. So the, the last thing defensively we're going to talk about is JJ Wadge and Davion Clowney. Uh, both these guys had to be great in this game. They need to be universe devouring. They need to be spectacular. And it wasn't Watt or Clowney. It was Watt and Clowney. 
And they weren't. They were football good, but they weren't box score great. Clowney only made uh, five tackles. Wyatt, two tackles, a quarterback hit, a tackle for a loss, two passes defense. And he almost he almost uh, went back to Cincinnati and almost took one back on, on luck. That was so close. <laughs> I, I mean, I went back and watching the video of it. I didn't realize how close he was seeing it live. And then going back and seeing, like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is the closest he's gotten since that play happened. And that was pretty unbelievable, too. Uh, were you surprised by how pretty good they were in this one? Yeah, and we've already talked about it a little bit. Quentin Nelson, to me, you know, when he was matched up, he was really owning Clowney. And one of the things they did, and, and I, of course, would love your opinion of this, it looked like when they had Clowney trying to come up the A-gaps, like he likes to do, is they just put bodies there. They just blocked into it and tried to get bodies in front of them just to create congestion so that Clowney could not come through. That looked like, to me, their strategy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I didn't pick that up. You know, watching, I think a lot of that, too, is just they have really good interior blocking as well. And then whenever, part of the problem with Houston, if they do that interior uh, blitzing, is that you can double-team Clown at that point because you don't need double-team Reader. Like, Reader's fine. Reader isn't as good as everybody makes him out to be. He's a really good tackler. He's only He only does something in the run game. He offers zero as a pass rusher. Brandon is fine. Angelo Blackson's fine. Christian Covington is just pretty bad. Uh, and then whenever you have Clowney rush in the interior and then you have J.J. Wall on the opposite side as a wide seven, like you can you can put three guys on Clowney and be perfectly okay because the other guys in the defensive line aren't going to you know, terrorize you at that point. Yeah. So the game that they had, except for the PDs by Watt, I was – I mean, I'll just say flat out, I was pretty disappointed in the game they had. They they did not step as they needed to. Yeah, and Clowney had you know, that one tackle for a loss, or that one tackle, I guess, went from one yard, doesn't necessarily count. Uh, he had a couple of nice inside-out moves, but overall, he he wasn't you know very good this game. I think he had, I think he was concussed too. There was a couple of run plays that I saw him like run four yards at field, like really disoriented and confused. And so I think he got a concussion at some point during this game because uh, he didn't look like himself at all. And like, cause he's a really, he's really good at reading the run and knowing what to do whenever somebody's pulling or somebody disappears and he was just taking himself out of place. And it was strange to see. And then what, like he actually, he finally beat Brain Smith. May spend the majority of the game rushes a wide seven, a wide nine. Like even Eric, Eric Ebron's lined up to chip, he was outside of Ebron on the slot, but that's not going to work. And so I know like, Watts a defensive end. They say he's an edge rusher, but everybody on this defensive line, they aren't quick speed rushers, you know, bend around the edge and rip guys. They are getting to your chest. They're using their hands. They're bull rushers. They're swimmers. They're those who are rushers. They're not pure speed guys. And like, Watt as a seven technique against Brand Smith is a terrible idea. Watts speed rushing worked because he was going up against bad offensive tackles when it worked, when he got those seven sacks or so off of them. And so that was that was super annoying too on Romeo Cannell's part. But like like I mentioned earlier, the matchup they had was attack Mark Lewinitsky. He's their worst offensive lineman. Use Waz the three. Well, I'm climbing the A gap after that and like overload that side and passing downs and those sorts of things. And they just didn't do it. And uh, like I was disappointed by Cornell with his once packages in the first half. Yeah, and just uh, one more thing on Clowney is uh, thank you for reminding me because I wanted to make that point. He looked messed up most of the second half. I mean, it wasn't just that he looked concussed. He looked like he was also physically – like something was wrong with his lower body, that he lost all quickness in the second half. Yeah. So um, we, we've talked about it a lot this year, again, is that we're not using J.J. Watt like we should. 
And this, I think, was a game that came back, comes back to bite you in the butt when you don't do it. Lining up in that, I'm not a big fan of the wide nine unless you're a bender. And you mentioned that we don't have, the only guy we've got is EGO4, who maybe is a bender. We don't have the speed guy. And it's just, yeah. you, you light him up. You get, he's not going to get there for four seconds. Yeah, and even Edgy Ofer is more like Winnie Merciless than he is like a speed rusher sort of guy, you know? Right, like, like an Ngakwe or something. Yeah, yeah he's hands, he's rips, he spins, you know? He's tech, he's a technique rusher, and he had a pretty good game in this one. Uh, he had a couple of nice spins and stuff to create some pressure. But, yeah, there's Jerry Hughes isn't on this team. Von Miller isn't on this team. These are all guys that have to rush by being close, and you spread them out that far, you're just limiting the impact that they're going to have. So, I, you know, I hate to say it, but we've been whispering it quite a bit this year, but it seems like the game is kind of passing uh, Cornell by a little bit. Yeah, in, in some ways. I, I still would like to see him with the confident secondary again, maybe, because a lot of stuff I think you're kind of trapped whenever your secondary is as bad as it is. But the blitz stuff, like, it was, it was inexcusable, and he should have done a better job with it, and he didn't. On the second half, they got a little bit of a pass rush, but – they did a lot by blitzing their linebackers on the inside and just running loops and stunts with McKinney and Cunningham and Edgio for a merciless. And it worked. Like they actually were able to pressure Kaleksam. Uh, he had actually scrambled, throw the ball away instead of just run for you know, 12 yards. And you know those sorts of things are things that should happen sooner. I don't know how much of an actual signal it is because the Colts were up 21-0 you know, at those points and stuff. But, uh, yeah, like that sort of stuff should have been used earlier in, like, the way they came out in the first half just was disappointing how they try to get pressure on line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And it's, yeah. And you said it, if you have, if your defensive backs look like that, you can't take a lot of risks up front. You have to, you have to play it in different ways and you can't be overly conservative either. Or you're going to get burned. So yeah. You really better hand. Yeah. And Hey, shout out to Brandon Dunn. That's, we can't ignore Brandon Dunn with that pick, man. That was beautiful. Yeah, it was a it was a hippopotamus, you know, ice skating. <laughs> it's very nice. I like how he swirled around back to find him. I it's so funny. Every time I type Lamar Miller in and into my predictive text on on my uh, computer, it's always the next line is up the middle, right? And <laughs> <laughs> and predictive text never saw Brandon Dunn with an interception like ever. It was you should. Be- you should write like an entire Texas article just using predictive text. Predictive text. <laughs> there would be a lot of F-bombs in it, I can guarantee. And mostly with Alfred Blue. Like, anything Alfred Blue, F-F-F. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, and then the other thing I'd say away from this game, too, was that the Texans do need more additional pass rushers. Like, yeah. they need interior rushers. And, like, if you're going to use Law and Clowney, how they've been using, they need to go out and find somebody, like an Antonio Smith where guy, like a 31-year-old veteran. You could, like. Let's say Malik Jackson, you know, he's going to get cut by Jackson. That would be a perfect guy to sign for Houston to be an interior rusher because if, if Watt's not lined up there, which he hasn't been, if Clowney's not rushing from the interior, they have zero interior pass rush, and I think it's really hurt uh, the pass rush this season. Like, even when you look at the numbers, like, it's, it's like late-stage capitalism, the, the difference between the top of, the top of Watt and Clowney's production and then they're at the bottom stage of the rest of the roster. Like I know Whitney Merciless had a lot of pressures this year, but overall, he wasn't – it was kind of like a lost year for him. Like, I can't think of a, a great play he made despite his enormous pro football focus score against Jacksonville. And so I, I really do think they need to go out and get some pass rushers. I think this offseason is about get cornerbacks, get like a guy like Malik Jackson to get cut, get another interior rusher, 
and then try to improve probably on left guard and right tackle because I still think Davenport can play can play left tackle in Houston too. Yeah, and you say interior right, and I get why you're saying it's because of the usage. But I would go, rather go out and find some edge guys who can who can do what we're expecting from JJ Watt and move him inside where he should be. Yeah, and, and use them correctly instead of not correctly. Because you can look on the inside. Sheldon Richardson's another guy that comes to mind. Malcolm Brown might be a good fit for this team, even though he's a he's a four three guy. But we run sub packages so often because we're forced to. Maybe he fits a little bit better than it seems. So that's what I, I guess I would prefer to do. Yeah, and Malcolm Brown's like Reader, but with some pass rushing ability. With like Reader, I don't think Reader's ever – I mean, I, I guess I'm not going to say that. But I can't remember a time Reader's ever had a sack in a game. Like, I don't – he never does anything that was a rusher. No, I was gonna, he had like eight tackles this game too. He had a crazy number of tackles. Oh, and he crushes guys. He makes tackles. Like, it's always awesome when he hits somebody. He has – Four. He had two sacks this year. He has four in his three seasons. Well, that's that's four more than I remember. <laughs> Ouch. I need I need to take you know I need to cut my skull open, grab the broom, and you know, do some dusting up there. He had that's right. He had two against New England the first game of the season. I remember that now. God, it seems like forever ago. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was up in. I don't remember all all that that much that well. Nothing. I remember all that much that well. <laughs> If you're still listening, which you should be, uh, we had a big giant hailstorm, uh, cataclysmic <laughs> storm out of nowhere, just flooded my entire house. I lost, I lost everything. My entire life is ruined, and we had some technical difficulties. And so, what we're what we were talking about was just this idea of uh, how the Texans should upgrade their pass rush this offseason. And that's an interesting idea that you have about moving Juan Clowney inside, getting edge rushers. Uh, instead of just going interior, I like the idea more. I guess the question is just going to be what that cost is going to be in the offseason. Like how much an edge rusher is going to cost compared to an interior rusher. Because interior rusher you can usually get for cheaper, even though they're just as valuable as having a great – having a great interior rusher is better than having a great exterior rusher. It's just, you know, the narrative is a little bit different and they're, they're a lot harder to find as well too. And they're more well-paid, yeah. I mean, that's the big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to go over a couple of the, the reader questions we have. And we're back. So we had uh, two questions from Texian Army we're going to answer tonight. We won't go over – we won't preview any of the playoff games this week because we'll have, we'll have the playoff preview podcast coming out uh, Thursday night. And we won't go too deep into the games after this past weekend because – We've already squawked into your ear long enough of this Texas Colts game. So the first question we have from Texas Army BFD, he said tackle is very high on my wish list. Any offensive tackles that catch the eye? Preferably two. So I'm going to go back. One of the two I'm going to mention is my old favorite from last year, Cameron Fleming. He's, he's up again because he only signed a one-year deal with Dallas. And the other guy I, so I threw out at Big Matt the other day and how I felt about him is Trent Brown. So what do you think about Trent Brown? He's huge. He's like 6'8", 850 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, and he had a good year this year, too. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm wary about, like, anybody who's from New England just because they make everybody really good on their offensive line. And so, like, I did like Fleming last year. Uh, I mean, like, free agency, I I would like to see another tackle brought in just because Kevin Lamb – Kevin Lamb is so – like, 
I know we, we have a lot of disdain for Kellen Lamb. A lot of people do too, but he was so much better than he should have been. He's gotten so much better than he was last year. So hats off to him. He's going to be a backup tackle in the league again. Uh, and it's been, it's been cool to see how much better he was, but he's still not a guy that you want to be your starting tackle. He was having a chip all the time. is hurt. I think Davenport's gotten a lot better at, all, at left tackle as the year's gone on. He had a really good game against the Colts. And I think next year, another full offseason, like, knowing, hey, you're just going to play left tackle. You won't play right ever again. We won't have to worry with you about that. Be fine with him there. So right tackle, if they want to you know, bring in uh, you know, Fleming or Brown or whoever. Again, I haven't really looked at the free agents just yet. I'm kind of waiting to see who's going to get cut first before having an opinion on them. And then the draft, even then, like, I don't have a lot. But I do still want to see Martinez rank and get a shot right guard, uh, or I mean right tackle. He, I, you know, based off like the way he looked in college, I thought he was more of a right tackle than a left tackle. They put him at left tackle, which didn't make any sense and kind of script the whole offensive line. And so I think like if they gave him an entire offseason at playing right tackle, I still think he could play that position. So uh, I would like to see that. And then if they want to fill in some depth from there, maybe even pay for a starter. And I also think they need to get a new left guard because Calamente's hands are just terrible and he isn't good enough in the run game, doesn't block the second level. And then also they should fire Mike Devlin. And the last thing is that uh, Zach Fulton has been much worse. He's been mediocre this year. And he was like a Pro Bowl caliber player in Kansas City. And every free agent Houston gets, every guy who leaves Houston, the offensive line either gets worse or better. That offensive line either gets worse or better. And they're always worse in Houston. They're always better elsewhere. And so that's why I like to see uh, Devlin go. Just because there's been too many examples of this and it keeps happening. Yeah, I'd like to know who was jerking around Davenport and Rankin. That's that to me. Whomever was doing that needs to go because that was stupid. Um, and I want to chime in and say I think that this offensive line also has a considerable amount of talent. Yeah, like we're not talking like this is Buffalo's offensive line. This is this team has a lot of talent and should be much better in year two playing as a unit if we make the decisions putting the right guys in the right spots and not jerk them around. Uh, so I. I as much as I wouldn't mind going out and signing, I mean, if you look at some of the names, you know, Daryl Williams, Donovan Smith, these are some of the better guys. But Eric Flowers, Jawan James, Jared Belda here, I don't want any of these guys on the roster. Jake Fisher, Cedric Boyhee. Well, he's, he's the worst tackle I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, these guys suck. So it's like, I don't know what we're going to have. Now we're picking 23rd, I think is what it is. You know, we're not going to be able to get one of the top tackles in this draft. So we're going to be, we're going to be drafting a, kind of a second-tier guy. I don't know if the help comes in the draft, but I think that between – unless there's somebody blows your way, I think Davenport on the left and Rankin on the right is would not be a bad idea to head into 2019. They're going to get better as a unit. They got better over the season, which is really depressing to say. We still wound up last in, in sacks, but a lot of those were also um, on Watson. So they're going to be better. It would be good to get a lot better, but I don't think this is – the two positions that we need to splash in cornerback and tackle. I don't think we can splash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I'm interested to see what happens to cornerback again. And I tackle, I don't want to just go with Davenport and rank and say, Hey, let's do this. I, I think last season entering this or like entering this season was fine just because they didn't have the draft capital and a whole lot of options. Uh, I still have a sign Fleming though, but like going into this season, you know, with the ability to have some money and make some, I would for sure go get a couple of veteran players. Like a veteran tackle, I would try and prove it left guard as well. And uh, like I, and like you, like you know, you talked about these guys have played together a little bit more. They're also young offensive line too, and so I do think they they have talent here, like you're mentioning as well. 
Yeah, I, I look at some of these free agents, and I'm just not uns, uh, not inspired. Roger Saffold would be great. Of course he would. Jamon Brown, hey, he's not bad. But, you know, these are a couple of guards. But, I, you know, I just don't know who's going to come in, and all of a sudden we're going to go, oh, my God, the offensive line is so much better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and who knows? It's going to be different in March, and that's kind of the same thing with a lot of these conversations. Um, last question from Texian Army we have tonight, BFD, is for you. He said, I know Matt LaFleur was the apple to your eye. Thoughts on him being the head coach of the Green Bay Packers? Oh, man. I was my, – my esteem for him fell over the course of the season. And you know, Big Matt's mentioned it really the, – the Titans only had one really good offensive game. But Marcus Mariota was hurt all year. They had a lot of injury problems on that team, on the offensive line especially. So I bet Derrick Henry was just a different player this year, wasn't he? I mean – not having to get stupid snaps behind Mark Murray certainly helped, but you know, Derek Kern really broke out in the second half. And again, props to Matt for mentioning that, but this is the way I'm looking at it. If, if you're a young offensive coordinator, right? It's one thing if you're McVeigh and you go to the Rams, you've got a couple of years as an offensive play caller and you go to the Rams, you take over Jared Goff, somebody who's got a year of experience. You've at least got some of that experience. So you two are going to work together pretty well. I can't think of a better situation for Matt LaFleur to fall in by going to Green Bay because all of a sudden he's going where he's got another offensive coordinator, Aaron Rodgers. And there is some talent on that team. Mike Mark, Mike McCarthy is basically the NFC North version of Bill O'Brien, where he was too conservative, got hung up on certain concepts too much, and and basically got outcoached every step of the way, but really paid a price for his conservatism, which is really weird to say when Aaron Rodgers is your freaking quarterback. So I think that if there is a perfect marriage that could happen, I think that's going to be great. I can see Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur having giggle sessions at like three in the morning with some of the plays they're coming up with. I think it's going – it's really – it's going to – I think it's going to be a great marriage between the two. And I hate saying that because – I don't really hate saying that because he's no longer with the Titans, so I guess I like saying it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like my, thing, my thing with LaFleur is like – I don't know, the Titans' offense was worse this year. The only really good game they had was against New England. And that was also, like, the only really interesting offensive game they had. And the rest of the time, it was just kind of like a more boring version of exact meth mouth. And so they weren't really enjoyable to watch. And how much of that is Mariota and how much is that kind of the situation he came into? So, I mean, you know, that's what, guys, that's what teams are doing. They're hiring young, younger uh, offensive-minded head, head coaches. And we'll see if it works. I listened to Sports Talk Radio briefly today because I was driving around for work. And I listened to Colin. No, they had somebody – it's the guy from the NFL Network that Pete Schlager got. He was talking about Matt LaFleur. And he said the reason why Matt LaFleur was hired was because he's going to intellectually challenge Aaron Rodgers. So pretty much it just means that Matt LaFleur should just have like a YouTube channel and, uh, and a fedora whenever he talks. And then that's how he communicates to Aaron Rodgers purely through the internet, you know. But that's the wow. reason that, that he gave for the floor hiring is that he'll intellectually challenge Aaron Rodgers every step of the way. Wow. I don't know what to even say to that. That just is <laughs> wow. Um, I think Rodgers is going to do a good job telling him what he's successful at. And then he's going to tell LaFleur, these are what I'm successful at, call these plays. And I think that's why that marriage is going to be a lot better than it was with Mike McCarthy. Yeah. I think it's going to be better. I'm just kind of interested to see how it works. And, like a lot of this sort of like coaching stuff that happens, unless I've seen them, you know, coach before or seen something tangible they've done before, 
like it's hard to really have an opinion. And like Flores is his first year calling plays, and I'm sure it's an extremely difficult thing to do. And he like had full ran the offense with Mike Vrabel as head coach. The only thing I could think of is if Vrabel was like, no, we got to run the ball more. Nope, we got to run the ball more. Nope, we got to run the ball more. That limited his ability as a play caller. And so until we see tangible production or tangible uh, things we can look at, like it's hard for me to say one way or the other. So, yeah, I mean, like at least this is an interesting hire. It's not like, uh, man, it's not like they're bringing Jim Colville to coach the Packers, you know. They're actually bringing somebody with some intrigue. And so it'll be fun to see what happens in Green Bay now. Yeah, and just quickly, I would like to talk about a couple of the other things. Cliff Cliff Kingsbury to the Cardinals. Big Matt, what do you think about that one? Josh Rosen has a new mentor. Uh, I think Rosen's going to struggle because Kingsbury's just so handsome, and he's going to have trouble (laughs) remembering the plays and learning with that sweet haircut and, you know, rock star, you know, head coach like that. Oh, my God. That's the best take yet I've seen on it. Um, So that'll be interesting. You know, Kingsbury comes from kind of the air raid style offense. And that's what really what you're seeing in the NFL today. You know, people are figuring out, hey, this is an offensive league. We need to actually have an offense to be successful and win games. And so that's why especially I think you've seen this year is you've seen these, you know, Cliff Kingsbury getting a chance, um, Matt LaFleur getting a chance as as a head coach. And stepping away from the defensive coordinators, I mean, you know, Steve Wilkins had one year in Arizona, which I think was kind of unfair in a lot of ways. But I mean, they're the worst offense in football, you know. Worst offense in football. You can't win with the worst offense in football. So it's, it's going to be real interesting. And I think also what, what I'm seeing is kind of an evolution of how head coaching is happening. Where the head coach is the offensive guy who's kind of running the macro. What I would like to see, if, if, if that's how they're going to start doing things, and I think you almost have to have, and there is, there's an assistant head coach, but that assistant head coach needs to be in charge of maybe more of the game management type factors. If you're going to rely on your head coach because you have to go pay head coaching money to get the offensive coordinator that you want, right? Then, and the other thing, the Saints offensive coordinator, whose name I'm completely blanking on, it's like Peterman or something? No, that's hmm. wrong guy. I know, I know Dennis Allen is their defensive coordinator, which is funny. Yeah, it's their offensive <laughs> coordinator. He's going to get like least looking football coach, football coach I've ever seen. Yeah. So um, he's going to get a head coaching job. Peter Carmichael. That's right. So he'll have a head coaching job. So you're going to have another head coach who's kind of never, you know, been in that position before. So you're going to have to have that head coach. If they're going to be the offensive corner is going to have to be able to offload some of the game management type stuff. And I think that's kind of the next evolution we're going to see in coaching is that, your your off head coach is basically the offensive coordinator. Somebody else has got to do it. Let your DC do this stuff. I think there's a lot of smart DCs out there that can do that and say, "Yeah, I'm just going to take this baby and run." Thanks, see ya. But at head coach or offensive coordinators, I don't think that exists. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting way to look at him. We'll see. It'd be kind of cool to see how like that evolves and also how the rest of the head coaching spots get filled out from here as well too. I am super excited though for Bruce Arians in Tampa. Because Jameis Winston is perfect to throw a vertical like that. They're, the players they have on their team right now is perfect for that. Like, even Chris Godwin, who got a lot of flack for that one really bad game he had, like, he's a good vertical receiver. Deshaun Jackson may want to decide to stay if Arians is there. Like, with Winston, like the talent's there as long as they can ever, if anybody can ever get him to reel in the turnovers at all, uh, he can be, you know, like a, like, you know, a top 15 quarterback. That's just the one mistakes. Like he just keeps, he doesn't understand pocket presence and he fumbles and he throws interceptions and all that. But like I, I love Arians in Tampa if that actually happens. 
Yeah, and Tampa's look at how Tampa's coaching staff is fleshing out. Todd Bowles is the DC, and Baron Leftwich is the passing game coordinator. Well, Leftwich went there too. Leftwich went there. Leftwich went there too. So this, they're going to. This is a team that's going to get the ball down the field. <laughs> yeah, I really like Leftwich, and he was in kind of a bump spot uh, coaching Arizona. But even he was a lot better than Mike McCoy, you know. So I don't know, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with all that. And the other one I want to talk about quickly, and we'll end the show is uh, your your bestie, Mike Malarkey, is now the tight ends coach. Tight ends coach in Atlanta. Talk about cool. how the mighty have fallen. Cool. I guess, guess who they hired as their OC. Have you seen that yet? Uh, Dirk Ketter. Oh, really? They fired Sarkeesian and got Cutter? <sighs> it's just like yeah. – It's weird because, like, Ryan had the best – like, the second best year of his career this year with Sarkeesian, you know? <laughs> and then and you it was hired a defensive guy. issue. Yeah, and then you hired Dirk Cutter, and he sucks. <laughs> yeah. He sucks. He's not good. He's just a guy who looks like a football coach who has offensive quarter on his re- coordinator on his resume, and he's going to give you just a vanilla-ass offense that's going to suck. Yeah, that's really weird. I didn't see that yet. I guess you're doing the show and coming busy this afternoon. Huh. Yeah, I, and because the, Falcon, the Falcons are weird just because they have that postmodern defense that's young and fast and all that. that can, it's super versatile, and it's bad every year. And, like <laughs> – there's something to being big and strong and, and, you know, having really good players instead of just being fast. So I don't know. They're interesting though. So right. yeah. Anyways, it was a fun show. I had a beautiful time. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the show if you're still listening, which you should be. And I'm, yeah, I'm sorry about the end of it. It got a little splotchy. Uh, you know, things like that happen. Floods can happen out of nowhere. And it'll be tumultuous <laughs> times that we live in. So I uh, think for listening to the show, everybody tonight, we'll be back on Friday, Thursday night, my good friend Taylor, BFT and I will be talking about the divisional round NFL playoffs next Tuesday, kind of do a review show as the playoffs trudge along. Because even though the Texans are out, it doesn't mean football ends at all. So anyways, uh, thank you for listening to Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, BFT. And uh, my name is Matt Weston. And again, always and forever, thank you for listening to Red Radio. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.